Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. This week on Product Love, I sat down and talked to Ryan Powell, a senior product manager at Sprout Social. Sprout Social is a social media management software company. So what's interesting about Ryan is how he sees product managers as storytellers. It's a refreshing perspective to describe them this way, one that doesn't tie product managers into the CEO or not CEO archetype or discussion. We don't think about product managers as storytellers enough but they're often the ones who diligently discover what customers need and want and weave that into a story that everyone in the company, as well as influential outside stakeholders, can get behind and identify with. Product managers also have a job of evangelizing the product and the outcomes from the product within their own organization. So as a storyteller, Ryan's able to strategize and advocate for the customers and his own team. It allows him to stay focused on the roadmap and continuously discover the problems his customers are currently facing. So this all got me to thinking about how the role of the storyteller is important in product management. Who else other than the product manager is listening and writing about these customer problems and pain points in such an empathetic and powerful way? And who helps align the whole company around finding a solution? Anyway, Enough chit-chat for me. Let me know what you think about product managers as storytellers at ebotic at pendo.io or ebotic on Twitter. Welcome, lovers of product. This morning, I am here with Ryan Powell from Sprout Social. Ryan, why don't you kick this off by giving us a little overview of your background? Awesome, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so currently, I'm a senior product manager at Sprout Social. We build social media management software for businesses. Prior to that, I worked at Parkwiz. We helped people find and reserve parking in advance over their phones. Before that, I did a, uh, a startup focused on due diligence and background investigations and kind of built a product from, a, from the ground up. And before that, I was in consulting. So that's what I did out of school and did that for a number of years. So definitely an interesting career trajectory, you know, from business into engineering, business analysis, and then moving into product management, right? Talk to me about what convinced you that product management was the right career for you. Sure. Yeah. It's an interesting path I've taken. In school, my major was business information technology, which was you took business classes and then you took computer science classes. So between my junior and senior year, I got an internship as a junior Java developer. And it was during that time when I realized I really like being close to software, being close to code, but man, some of my peers are a lot better at it than me. So I knew I wanted to stay close to the code, but that probably wasn't going to be how I was going to spend my career actually writing it. So out of school, I did what most business technology majors do and got a job consulting. And it's a great career, learned a ton working with various clients, but Ultimately, what I found was you're, you're coming on site for a client and most of the time, the project's already well-defined and you're there to implement it and, and help move it along. And I wanted more than that. I wanted to be part of the initial discovery and defining and 
expanding that problem space. So I made the transition to product management because that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to focus on the actual customer and what we're solving and not just be passed down some requirements that then need fleshed out and implemented. So as a product manager, right, you have this issue with balance. And I think a lot of product managers really struggle with how they balance their time. And by that, I mean, there's a lot you can be spent on working on the tactical side and then a lot on the vision and strategy components. How do you go through and and balance your time? How do you know which and when to prioritize? What Do you have any advice for other PMs out there? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's been a struggle of mine to be more strategic. I think when you first join a company or start in a new product, like it makes sense to do a lot of the tactical stuff, help out wherever you can. It's the best way to learn the, the domain and build rapport with the team. But as you spend more time with that product and that team, I think it's important to kind of take a step back and, and ask yourself, you know, can my team survive without this? You know, do we need a super fleshed out user story or can we kind of, you know, build it as we kind of fly the plane, so to speak. And I've found there's a lot of scenarios where the team can survive and actually they're empowered to kind of pick up some of those extra pieces. So for me, it's helpful to kind of look at my schedule and say, okay, how can I be the most impactful in my next hour? And is it writing a user story or is it possibly doing some competitive intel or or thinking about the long-term business or strategy. And there's certainly times where you do need to be very tactical and, and in the weeds, you know, if it's a time-sensitive project or a, a very high-priority project. But I think there's a lot of opportunities where you can kind of lay a foundation that will allow you to kind of peel yourself back and, and think more about vision and more about strategy. So it's interesting, you know, you talk about vision and strategy, and we just did a little study, state of product leadership, and some interesting results there. You know, a lot of PMs are talking about how their work is definitely more tactical. And not only that, but they see that their organization hires based upon looking for tactical skill sets and also, you know, values the tactical skill sets more than what they can do as far as strategy and vision. You know, do you do you often see that's the case? Yeah, I think that's an interesting trend, but where I've seen in my own work, the way I've been able to have the most impact is by empowering my team members to kind of fill out those roles. So like the the concept of the technical product manager is an interesting one because I think, you know, I could spend a whole lot of time understanding, you know, at a very low level a problem space and, you know, the intricacies of an API, but I'll never be as technical as an engineer who's in the code every day. So instead I've taken the approach of, I'm going to take a step back and and empower the engineers to own that area, which frees me up to be less focused on those technical aspects and and more focused on kind of the strategy and, and doing what I think is ultimately the most important thing, which is being a storyteller telling the story of why we're marching in the direction that we're marching, how I think we can get there, and basically shouting that from the rooftops to my teams and the other stakeholders at the company. Yeah, I do like, you know, the description of a product manager as part storyteller. I I think that's powerful. So on a daily basis, you know, while you're balancing these things that, that we just talked about, 
I know you say when we were talking earlier, you're constantly asking yourself, are you doing the highest leverage work you can? You know, I want to ask you the same thing. Are you doing that? How can you measure that you are doing the highest leverage work you can? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think the easiest way to measure if I'm applying the most leverage is to ask any engineer or designer on my team to describe the vision and the strategy for the product. Do they know how their day-to-day impacts our broader vision? Do they know who our target customer is? If they can't answer those questions, that's probably a sign to me that I'm spending too much time on a very tactical, you know, detail-oriented work, you know, writing user stories, prioritizing the backlog, and not doing a good enough job of explaining where we're going and why that matters. So talk to me a little bit about staying focused too, right? I mean, part of this is staying focused on your roadmap. If if as a product manager, you know, you get, I imagine as a product manager, I know we all do, you get feature requests from salespeople, from your CEO, from, you know, all sorts of people being pulled in different directions. You know, how do you field all those requests? And, and definitely, how do you stay focused like you just talked about so that the vision is consistent too? Sure, yeah. So for me, it all comes back to, we have to start with an outcome, you know, having a clear defined outcome for the product and then for the actual project you're working on. Like you need that, that North star, that guiding light and, and be obsessed with that outcome. So at Sprout, we have it set up so that all of our feedback and whether it's from our customers, success services, support, the sales team, everything is funneled into product board and we can categorize it and kind of see trends and themes. And you can then look at everything that's come in and say, okay, is this thing that's being asked for? Will this ultimately drive the outcome that I'm trying to achieve? And then if not, then, okay, going back to that storytelling piece, clearly I'm not sharing a compelling story with the organization if they keep submitting these requests and saying, hey, these are top priorities because that means they don't know the direction we're heading. So it all comes back to like, okay, I need to do a better job of telling the sales team, hey, this is the future of our product. And this is, you know, the markets we want to compete in. And that way they can share a compelling story with their prospects. Yeah, so let's go a little bit deeper in that. How do you tactically determine which features are, you know, worth building, which ones aren't? How do your team differentiate between, you know, things maybe that customers think they want, but don't really need? You know, talk to me about some of that process of, of managing these incoming requests and, and keeping it consistent with your vision. Sure. So we're really big on conducting user interviews. We, you know, I know you've had Teresa Torres on and we're big fans of hers and, and the concept of continuous interviewing. And yeah, she's really, awesome, isn't she? Yeah, she's definitely changed how I've approached interviews, specifically shifting from a project-based interview where you're trying to answer a very specific question to a discovery-based interview. So we're talking to our users two to three hours a week, every week, and every interview starts off with the same question. Tell me about the last time you used our product. Where were you? What were you using? You know, what was the weather that day? And what you're trying to do is you're trying to elicit this story because it's when the user starts telling a story, that's when you start to see these insights and opportunities. So when we're constantly talking to customers, that allows us to have a really good understanding of their needs, their pain points, and their desires. 
So if all the requests that are coming in are not, you know, aligning with those things we're hearing from our customers, then it's a pretty good signal to us that, hey, like we need to focus more on what the customers are telling us on a daily and weekly basis and share that out with the organization. So, you know, that's really how we determine what to work on and, and what not to work on. Like, hey, this feature request just came in. Have we heard this when we're actually talking to the users? If so, then okay, let's invest and, and discover some more and see if it makes sense to continue down that path. I like that. So let's talk a little bit about your, your philosophy on how the best product teams work together. Yeah, so it's, for me, the, the best product teams work well is when engineering, design, and product are all in lockstep together. And they're responsible for the discovery process from start to finish. So I'm a huge proponent of included engineering from the very beginning. And quite often, engineers tend to have the best ideas. They know it's truly possible, and they can course correct if we're headed in the right direction. So I work you know, very closely with my tech lead and my product design lead. And to me, that tripod, that, that's what has really led to you know, an efficient team and I think a team that's building really good software. I mean, is it working kind of in an environment where you think about, you know, you own the, the problem, but engineering and, and design owns kind of the solution to it or how it, it's uh, instantiated within the Sprout Social product? Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned the word own because I, I like to think that, you know, a, a product manager doesn't own anything. There's various things said about, oh, you're the voice of the customer or this or that. And, and really, my job is to just coming back, tell stories. So I want to make sure that everyone on my team knows exactly what the customers need and, and what their pain points are, what their desires are. So I do my best job to do that. And whether that's writing a really comprehensive project brief or having two to three hours of interviews per week where team members are involved, doing analysis of our competitors and where they're investing in and where they're not investing. So just trying to let everyone know everything related to our product and our customers and our competitors. And what that allows people to do is it empowers people to step up and and own the parts that they feel strongly about. So on a project by project basis, you know, an engineer may be the owner if it's a more technical project that they're very passionate about, or if it's a UI refresh or something like that, then the designer will kind of own it and and kind of see it through. And I'm just trying to fill any gaps and and put the puzzle pieces together. So you're, you're kind of the storyteller around the customer, the customer problem. You're passionate about that area and then the team's empowered to help you deliver the solution that, that solves that. Is that a good way to summarize that? Yeah, that's perfect. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, product management and startup community. Talk to me. I mean, we were were talking a little bit earlier about problems you've noticed. Let's talk about that with our listeners here. Yeah, I think, you know, along the same lines of the balance between tactical and strategic, you know, I think a lot of product managers are, are focused on being backlog groomers rather than problem solvers. You know, they spend their days scrambling to keep the backlog full. You know, they're very focused on, is it Kanban or is it Scrum or is it this or is it that? And what I've found is, you know, that's just not a great way to spend their time. You know, on the backlog side, engineers will always find something to work on, you know, whether it's tech debt or infrastructure, whatever it is, like 
I don't think you're using your time effectively if you're worrying about keeping them busy. So I think product managers need to focus less on kind of the delivery aspect and more on the discovery aspect of product development and building, you know, a business case. Another thing that you don't see a lot of is focusing on feature removal. You know, Jason Fried has this quote about, you know, adding anything dilutes everything else. And that's not always a bad thing, but just be aware of it. So when's the last time that your team said, okay, during this next two-week cycle, two-week sprint, we're going to remove X, Y, and Z because we believe that's exactly what our customers need. So I'm a big fan of kind of focusing the team towards or orienting the team towards this idea of what can we remove that's going to lead to benefit. And then I think probably the last thing that I've noticed is product managers are can sometimes lose their ability to think creatively. I think it's really easy to fall into this trap of focusing on delivery and, and execution. But when's the last time you sat down on your couch for an hour or two with just a pen and paper and just like brainstormed ideas? The ability to think creatively is a muscle. And if you don't exercise that muscle, you're going to lose it. So, you know, one of the things that I picked up from a friend of mine that I try to do at least once a week is the exercise of describe as many uses for a brick as possible, insert X object. And what you'll find is, you know, you set a timer and you try to come up with as many uses for a brick. And the first time you do it, after 30 seconds, you'll be stumped. You won't be able to come up with anything else. But the more and more you do it, the more objects that you try to come up with uses for, before you know it, you'll be going for two minutes or three minutes or four minutes where you're just generating all these ideas. And you're kind of getting that creative muscle back. I think we all need to focus on that because it's very easy to just become a tactical execution driven product manager. Wow, there's a lot to dig into there. So let me start with uh, something I thought was interesting that you mentioned, which is a little bit of like becoming a backlog groomer, right? And does some of that come, you know, especially in the agile, the scrum world, right? with this concept of product owner and maybe some of the confusion, I can see a lot of product managers, especially junior ones, they get pushed into what I would call almost a development manager or, you know, a scrum product owner role where a lot of it is backlog grooming, backlog prioritization, making sure they're scoping backlog properly. Do you see that a lot more, you know, that product owner kind of issue in environments that are more agile or scrum driven? Yeah, I definitely do. And and I think it stems from the concept that the product manager sh- is writing user stories. Like if you're spending a lot of your time writing user stories, then you're in that backlog a lot and you're kind of expected to prioritize it and, and know it in and out. And while I think it's useful to be able to write a compelling user story and at the end of the day, like if, if that's how you and your development team works, that makes sense. But, you know, one of the things we've done at Sprout is... Me, as a product manager, I I do not write the user stories. So every week, we get the entire product team together, and I review the project brief, and I say, hey, here's what we're looking to accomplish. How do we do it? And then someone else volunteers to actually write the story, and we write it there with everyone watching. And, you know, that was challenging at first. You know, people were a little bit hesitant to step up because, you know, it's just a different way of working. But you get into a groove where the people that know the domain the best and are actually the ones building the thing are writing the story of how they will build it. 
And it's just a great way to, you know, reach alignment and understand what exactly you're building. And that way, when you go to kick off the next bucket of work, whether it's at a sprint planning meeting or a, a Kanban prioritizing meeting, everyone's really well versed in the user stories and what you're trying to accomplish. So the other thing I wanted to unpack from that answer about uh, problems and product management was this concept of feature removal, right? I feel like a lot of product managers, you know, don't really spend a lot of time looking at that, right? Because there's there's a push to ship. And when people think of ship, they're thinking of shipping new features, right? And less about removing complexity. What advice do you give to product managers in selling kind of that up the channel, right? To their bosses or maybe to people and executives in sales and marketing who are looking for not removal of old things, but new things to sell and market? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, what I've had success with is, you know, kind of letting the data talk for me. So showing that, hey, here are the areas of the application that are seeing a ton of usage, a ton of activity, and here are the areas that are not. And if we can remove this area, remove this portion of the code, that frees us up to really invest in this area that's seeing a lot of usage, seeing a lot of adoption. Because I think people kind of forget that you always have to maintain your code. You know, a week, a month goes by and bugs will rise. Like software has bugs, it'll always have bugs. So if we can deprecate this area and remove this feature, that allows us to double down on the areas where our users are having success. And I think you do that by showing the actual, actual feature usage. Yeah, and I think when you have this trap of ship, 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 you're not, you know, when you're not looking to remove complexity, especially from your user experience, you can, going to one of your points you made too, is you can lose this ability to think creatively as a byproduct, right? Absolutely. Cool. So let's turn our conversation a little bit to Ryan Powell, right? Talk to me about your favorite products. Favorite products, yeah. You know, I often find myself, I'll, you know, be recommending something so much that I think, man, I should be getting a commission off this, you know, like that's, that's how much I love it. So that, that's what comes to mind when thinking of, oh, what's, what's a favorite product of mine? And something I've been telling a, a ton of people about is the app Calm. It's a meditation app. You know, I, like many people have struggled with sleep and, you know, I've, I've tried many different things and never really found success. And somewhere came across this, the Calm meditation app, which I had known about, but what caught my eye specifically was this idea of sleep stories. So one of the features of the Calm app is they have sleep stories and they're anywhere from 20 to 35 minutes. And it's just a narrator with a really awesome voice telling either a fictional or or non-fictional story. And what I found is I put it on as I go to sleep and I've yet to actually make it through one because I fall asleep during it. And I realized it, you know, what's keeping me up at night is the wheels are always turning. What do I need to do tomorrow? What's, what are my priorities? And the story is just enough to kind of separate me from my thoughts, but I'm still kind of tired. So I can't fully focus on the story to stay awake. And yeah, I conk right out. So I actually looked in the app this morning and I've done it for 90 days in a row and 90 days in a row, I've fallen asleep 
before the stories ended. So it's been pretty powerful. Yeah, and I know sleep's a challenge for a lot of people. It's an interesting application of technology to help people get a better night's sleep. I like that. I've never tried it, but I, I know I I suffer sometimes, especially during those you know really busy months with being able to calm the mind, so to speak, so you can easily fall asleep. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I haven't even explored the actual meditation, um, the guided meditations, and probably what are the core features of the app. But yeah, the sleep stories themselves have just been phenomenal. Every week they add a new story. They've had some cool narrators on, like Matthew McConaughey's narrated a story. So yeah, they're doing a good job. Awesome. What other products do you like? I know you had mentioned a few earlier. Yeah, so I think it's easy to just focus on software products, but a physical product that, you know, it's interesting. It's a love-hate relationship, to be honest. So, you know, I started... CrossFit back in 2008 and, you know, I've done it for since then. And there's a piece of equipment called the assault air bike and it's, you know, it's an exercise bike and it's brutal and it's efficient and it's affordable and it gets the job done. And yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, I was not sure if I wanted to buy it because I knew how painful and effective it was, but it takes up a small footprint in your house. It's full body. It doesn't require a lot of time. It's, you know, it's affordable and it'll get you sweating real fast and, and it keeps you in good shape. So that's just another product where I can't speak highly enough about. And probably the last thing that I uh, shout from the rooftops about is my Apple AirPods. You know, I think when they first came out, everyone was like, well, I don't know about the aesthetic that looks a little silly in people's ears, but for me, they've become a part of my daily routine. And I think where I've seen the most usage is actually listening to podcasts and listening to audiobooks. It's just so simple to plug in an AirPod and throw in a podcast when you're doing the dishes or cleaning the house. I'm a bike commuter, so having them in, being free of wires, is just a game changer. And yeah, I'm using them for multiple hours a day and, and they just work. Like it's just a product that's super simple to use, integrates well with the Apple ecosystem and, and just works really well. Yeah, I, I must say they're, they've been a game changer for me too. Never, never would have expected how much I would, I would like them. I mean, I originally bought them because... Life expectancy for me for the wired headsets is like three months. I don't know what I did, but I always ended up being able to break them in, in record time. So they definitely saved me there too. But just just the ease of use with them, the fact that you don't have wires to actually catch on things, whether you're biking, you know, whether you're walking, whether you're doing the dishes is super helpful too. Love that product. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, you know, is where do you see like where do you see the craft of product management moving in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think as people focus more on discovery and less on the delivery phase of product development, focusing less on, you know, backlog management, I think PMs need to focus more on how you actually bring products to market. So, you know, market research and strategy, understanding purchasing behavior, pricing, you know, Things like SWOT analysis and Porter's Five Forces, those things that you learned about in business school, I think initially 
they weren't as relative to product managers because we were so focused on the backlog and the sprints and optimizing that area. But as we pull ourselves back and realize the value of being strategic, I think it's important for product managers to be able to focus on and apply themselves in those areas on kind of the, the business strategy of taking a product to market. I like it. I like it. Anything else? Yeah, I think, you know, you're seeing this shift from ad-based revenue models to more subscription models, you know, if you think of Netflix and, and Spotify. So constantly thinking about how do you change user behavior? Um, we're seeing a shift from users who expect everything for free to ones that are willing to pay for it. So how does that impact your day-to-day? I think it, you know, it's probably less of a focus on, you know, a daily active user, or a monthly active user, and more on, you know, what's the average revenue per user. So that trend in the market and the way consumers, you know, hire software, I think is something that we all need to be aware of and factor into our, our product decisions. Cool. Well, it's been great talking to you today, Ryan. Really enjoyed this. I uh, want to finish up with one final question. And that's three words to describe yourself. Uh, describing yourself, hmm, I'd, I'd have to go with empathetic, helper, and the last one, hype man. And, you know, if you look up hype man, you know, it says in hip hop or rapping is a, a backup person who supports the primary rappers with exclamation points and interjections. And kind of that's how I feel on a day-to-day basis, you know. I just want to empower people on my team to do their best work and fill in the gaps. So I'm going to hype them up uh, wherever I can. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here, Ryan. This has been great. Great talking to you, Eric. Thanks for having me. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com, an online magazine by and for product people.